there's something called post-traumatic stress and there's post-traumatic growth. And it's really what you do with it. Post-traumatic growth is the positive psychological change experienced as a result of struggling with highly challenging life circumstances. It demands the reevaluation of one's core beliefs. Before resuming this week's episode, we'd like to invite you to attend a free women's circle hosted by Monica Berg on January 31st at 3 p.m. Pacific time. You can expect us to be diving into our fears, sharing stories, and discovering our inner strength that may still be undiscovered. Hope you'll join us for this very unique, very special event. Mark your calendars for January 31st. Details and links in the episode's description. See you there. Hello and welcome to Spiritually Hungry. Michael, do you remember learning about genetics in Never. school? Yes, I do. Actually, I actually have very... I'm sure I didn't you shared out this. in that class. I what? I did, but you know what's funny? I think I shared this once. I think, I'm pretty sure. I'm not, I know I shared it with you. I don't know if you remember it. But then I remember it was ninth grade. We were learning about genetics and chromosomes. And when they spoke about Down syndrome, right? Trisomy 21. It's like something like, it's one of those knowings, not knowings that you had. In a, I think you got that in your body? Know. Yeah. Not in my body. No, sort of like a, a knowledge. Like, oh, that's interesting. Like, like, it was knowledge that was pertinent to me. Uh-huh. And of course, I think many of our listeners know we have we we have Josh, uh, one of our sons, was born with Down syndrome. You actually never told me that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I did. I'm pretty sure you did. Uh, so I also mentioned, I also told you this. <laughs> Let's see if you remember this. When I was in eighth grade, one of my classmates' mom gave birth to a child with Down syndrome. That I remember. And I that also, you actually told me. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so yeah, so it's interesting. So again, with those moments of knowledge, where I remember my mind went to that. Whereas, you know, I had many other, obviously, we all have different things that happen in school and where you don't get that sense. So, premonition, yeah. soul knowing. So, yeah, I thought it was fascinating also. And I think as a child, you always kind of wonder, you know, when you're in sitting grade school, like, what will my children look like? Will they have brown eyes, blue eyes? Who will they take from what? And especially when we, I remember when we started having kids, and especially with our first, David, in his ultrasound, he had like very spike. It looked like he had a lot of hair, a lot of hair. And I was like, oh my God, he's going to be Persian. He's going to get my genes. But in fact, he was just like this little stud with not a lot of hair, but it stood up very high when he was for the first year of his life or first couple of months. You remember that? I do remember. So cute. We have pictures. It looked like E.T. Yeah, he did. A cute version. So cute. A cute version. <laughs> so there is growing evidence that we don't just pass on our smiles, our eye color, our heights, and our ability to sprint. We also share the knowledge of past experience deeply encoded in our RNA, which is a carrier of genetic information to all living cells, and it speaks to our DNA. So today we're going to talk about generational trauma, and there are different definitions out there. I'm sure most people are familiar with this, but just to sum it up, to make sure we're all on the same page, generational trauma refers to a passing down of traumatic experiences or stresses from one generation to another. So it could be historical mistreatment or abuse that lives somewhere in our minds, our bodies, even our ancestors, and then that energy is transferred down. It's really interesting to me because we didn't grow up having a notion of what this is. It's a fairly new discovery, and I'm going to go into the science of it. There are really some interesting case studies of how they came to this. But I'm also glad it has a name now because once we realize how great this impacts us, we can actually take steps to changing it and process our understanding more about ourselves Knowledge by looking at our power. past. 
So some causes of generational trauma are grandparents or great-grandparents even who survived genocide, war, or famine. Right, there's the, this study around Holocaust survivors. Yeah, do you want to say that? I was gonna no, 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 sure, that please. Yeah. Well, that was in the 1960s. In 1966, Canadian psychiatrist Vivian M. Rakoff and colleagues documented high rates of psychological distress among children of Holocaust survivors. I think it was like 300%. In the years since, researchers have assessed anxiety, depression, and PTSD in trauma survivors and their, and their progeny, with Holocaust survivors and their children being the longest and mostly widely studied. Yeah. yeah, the numbers. And I, I personally know a number of people, second generation, who literally, and now we're talking many, many years later, have nightmares and has clearly, clearly had, in in some cases, a lasting, very negative effect. Yeah, fear of not having enough food, of starving, of all of all those things. Another cause is ancestors who entered the country as immigrants or Black Americans who are descendants of slaves. Each of these experiences is something you may or may not know about your ancestors. We don't know all the details of what they went through. Some people don't even like to talk about their trauma. And this is the point. I think, and and this go again. A lot of my knowledge, personal interactions on this are, are again, second generation, uh, meaning children of Holocaust survivors. And you see a clear um, delineation, or at least I have, and this is just anecdotal, between those whose parents were open to talk about it, where it seems to have left less of a, we'll call it a negative impact, whereas when, when the parents clearly behaved as an effect of the trauma that they experience, but we're not open, again, many of them probably for obvious reasons, but open to talk about it. Well, certainly if they didn't work through their own trauma, those effects are going to show up in many other Which I think ways. is a very important, again, I always like to bring these to lessons or practical things we can do. I think, and even though this is early on in our conversation, I think the fact that whatever you're able to assess is something that you received in one way or another from a previous generation, your parents or your grandparents, I think the the knowledge of it, really the knowledge of it, and second, the conversation around it is very important. Right, because it shapes who you are. It shapes it, who your children will be exactly. and your grandchildren. So well, not for, who they'll be, I would say, but, well, but, how but they, aspects, they, it will definitely can have a negative impact unless it's addressed. And they won't even be able to correlate the two. The trauma, for instance, of a great-grandmother experiencing what they experienced during the Great Depression may be the reason that an ancestor would distress would be distrustful of putting money in a bank or resist throwing out anything that was even questionably being able to be reused, right? And those are kinds of, we think, just quirks that a person has, but it could be because of this. Is there anything from your great, your grandparents or great-grandparents that you think um, it's you can see now as behavior so that affected? I think, yeah, but I think, so, so I think to clarify, and tell me if you agree with this, but I'm pretty sure that I'm right. But that that right, there's three That's how most conversations go. What just that kidding. Is so not Jazz. True. If, if you believe that or no, anyone listening to that, I wouldn't be very happy with you. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't be very happy with me either. If that were true. Um I'm just feeling spunky. <laughs> that's okay. Spunky's good. As long as our listeners don't get the, <laughs> the No. Anyway, that, that's also true. Yes, yeah, yes. Yes. Feel free to judge me for things I haven't done. Um so there's three main ways by which this generational trauma can be sent sent down. One is, like you said, epigenetics, right? The fact that you're not even conscious of it, it could be from one generation, two generations, three generations, literally 
coded into our, our, our genetics. Well, even smoking, right? If your great-great-grandfather smoked and you never did, it still actually lives on the effects of that to some degree in and, your own cells. And, right, I mean, we, we certainly see this in, in addictions, right? Alcoholism and such, where there certainly is a, a, a uh, family line that, that needs to be known about, at least, right? So there's that, right? So there's, there's really, we'll call it the unconscious, but epigenetic... A transfer, and this is by, the good news is it's also for good things, right? It's also for positive things, right? The, you know, the, if you come from a generation of scholars or those, right? There's there's a good chance that in some way that will be imprinted on your epigenetics and therefore manifest in one way or another. So to be clear, this has positive elements and negative elements, but I think we're we're more focused on the negative. Only to be clear, only because you want to work. This is the part that you really want to work on. I do want to mention one more thing though on the positive side, which is worthwhile, is that. You know, you sometimes see people. I, I, there's a in our family a famous part of the speech that I gave at our oldest son David's bar mitzvah, where I told him because at the time he, he's now twenty, turning twenty five in a few days. But when he was thirteen years old, he was really into basketball and sort of we had he actually had a conversation. You know what he wants to be when he grows up. Of course, in these ages, he can say anything. And, and he said, you know, maybe maybe an NBA basketball player. That was his sort of big uh, a professional basketball player. And I said to him, I said, you know what? You should definitely do whatever you feel you need, you want to do when you grow up. I personally have to tell you that that coming from the lineage that you come from, his father being a very uh, important, great Kabbalist scholar, uh, author, and myself to some extent being you know a teacher, scholar, and and author, um, <laughs> it might be a waste of your genetics if you become an NBA basketball player. Of course, you should do whatever your heart desires. Again, the point. My point being. That it's not that there, when we look back, it's important to look back, and it's important to look back. Yes, on the negative, where I don't like the word negative, on the challenges that come to us from our generational trauma. I think it's also very important to look at our ancestry as it relates to the positive aspects. And what are the things that I must know are within me because my father, my mother, my grandfather, my grandmother, my great grandfather was in this way. And use that as an inspiration for what I can or and or maybe should be doing with my life, or at least some aspects of it. It reminds me of the Taylor Swift song Marjorie that she wrote for her grandmother who passed. And it's beautiful. But what I really like about her music now that Miriam's got me into it, okay. our daughter, are her bridges and her storytelling. She's a great writer. But she talks about how her mother her grandmother left her all of her dreams. And she can hear her now. And her grandmother was an opera singer, if I'm not mistaken. And when I thought of it, I was like, well, that's really interesting, right? Like how that goes down from generation right. to generation. Right. I, I, so sorry, I got a little distracted. So, so that's the first Oh, we're way. still on one. We're still on number one. <laughs> sorry. Epigenetics, right? So, so not to our knowledge being passed. Second, our actions. So, for example, parents who are very, you know, if they walk with their children, they hold their hands tight while they're walking because they're, where they're going to run away or they see a stranger. So there are actions that parents do. Again, not necessarily conscious of the desire to pass this on to children, but how we behave, by the way, not just towards our children, but in our home, in our lives that our children see, that has a direct impact on the possibility of transferring generational trauma. Again, I think it's important, I was having this conversation a few nights ago with some of our friends, that that you know, children, and we've spoken about this before, they will not necessarily listen to what you teach them, 
but they definitely will learn from how you behave. They imitate. Exactly, or learn from. So so while, we, again, we're more focused on the negative, meaning that when you act with fear or with anger towards your children, there's a greater likelihood that that will manifest in their lives. Also be conscious of the fact that as we behave towards our children in positive ways, also will have a long, long, long-lasting effect on them. That's like you and your mom have that same kind of fear of, you know, like when we're in a public place, that's correct. No, because I don't think that, I always wondered about that because it's it's identical, like your level, I mean, maybe hers is a little bit more heightened, but level of like worry in a, in a big crowd and where are they? Where, where, do you see? And like, they're literally well, right in front not, of not, you. Not, like, not, to, not to make all of us like look, five feet not to make all of us, and I'm going to say all of us, I mean. you literally can't miss them. It's me, like, oh my God. And it's just like, what? So as, as I was saying, not to make us look bad, I mean, you and I, <laughs> that we have lost our children about three or four times. I never lost them. That's not true. No, once. Just <laughs> Let's that. see. Let me count. No. Once at SeaWorld. I never once in Costa Rica. I didn't lose anybody at SeaWorld. Yes, we did. No, I didn't. <laughs> Who did? I don't know. I wasn't. Oh, I, you were responsible. No, okay. no, no. The, I never had that experience. <laughs> no, you thought that they had just wandered off a little bit ahead. That wasn't losing them. Okay. You couldn't see them we'll, for like a we'll, minute. We'll agree to disagree. I don't agree. That's again the fear and the panic. Se- they literally were around the second corner. Costa Rica. We lost. That was the only time I'm agreeing to, and we didn't lose them. The person that they were with lost them. <laughs> okay, and there. I think it was one or two other times. No, there are two other times where you were scared, honey. It's just not true. <laughs> anyway, which, I, anyway it, my point is, yes. uh, yeah, is that learned or is that from something else? No, it's something. definitely learned. It's, I, so I tell you, I had this thought today because I was I was thinking about this this example that that that, that there where fathers or mothers walking with their child and they grab their hand really tight because they're scared, right? And then I did think about the fact that growing up, my mother was very intensely concerned. And and it was once or twice where she called the. I remember once my brother was late. Actually, not. This is kind of a scary story. So this is in the early '80s before we had cell phones. And he had gone on the school bus to come home, and he had missed the stop. So he went all the way to a different city. So and it was like he was supposed to be home. Let's say by three o'clock, and it's like eight p.m. and he's not yeah, home. Of course, you should call the police. So I remember that That's was not co- overly yeah yeah, yeah. cautious. But, but that was but that was a very traumatic experience for me because I remember the police coming to the house. My mother, of course, being freaked out. But anyway, so I so I so I had this thought, and I said to myself, so do and and, and you and I both know this. The, the one area of life that that I would say I have I don't I don't like the word fear but sort of uh that I do worry is around our kids uh, on other areas it's much easier for me to let go so <laughs> that's a very funny face you're making I I'm hope all of our listeners can see it so that. so the thought that I had do I want because the argument is made no you have to be more free with your children otherwise they'll grow up with this and and I'm not really sure that I want to I don't know if it's negative, uh, put it this way, for our children. It's a little too. bit too much. You've gotten better <laughs> over the years. I mean, look, it's great for me because then I can I don't have to like I don't exactly. pay attention when we go out because you're just you're looking with like 10 eyes. Exactly. And again, I've done this a little bit off topic, but I again a conversation I was having the other night with some of our friends is that, you know, whether you do you do you or don't you track your children on their iPhones and such. And I know that there have been a certain few times in our life where tracking them on the phone actually helped. Uh, situations. Um, I think I use that more often than most. <laughs> yes, that's that's the that's that's another conversation. We had some parents who are like you know just laissez faire, like, and I, I don't I I don't know that I agree with that, but it's an interesting view of parenthood. Anyway, back to the three. So actions, how we behave, both towards our children and in our homes, both negative and positive, can create a trauma or hopefully positive opportunities. 
And third, which I think is maybe, I don't know, more relevant, but certainly one that is not spoken about enough, is the spiritual connection that we have with our children. And that our behavior actually affects our children. It's something I don't think most of us are at least keenly or focused on this reality. So how are you saying that's different than two? Because... Because, because, for example, what the spiritual teachers say is that certainly up until the age of 20, if a person, if a father or mother behave negatively in their own lives, meaning, let's say, for example, a, a father cheats on his wife, on the mother. Again, I, I don't want to come up judgmental here, but, but that actually has, you know, a person will say, well, you know, this is, my, this is my life, right? And while it's true, and by the way, of course, we could all understand, if that becomes known, we can understand the trauma that it will create in the family, but even if it never becomes known, uh-huh. the negative effect of that behavior has an, a spiritual effect. How so? We've never discussed this. So it's energy. Has an it's energy. It's energy. Right? So, so the, the, the point is this. We are tethered spiritually to our children, and our ch- children are tethered to us, no matter how old they are. But it's more, uh, cl- it's more acute at younger ages. So when... Some people really don't want to hear that, especially if they don't really get on with their parents. Well, I, I, and, I've, and I've had this conversation very often with, with, with people who, you know, have a negative imp- uh, relationship, or had a negative imp- uh, relationship. But, and again, this is one of the spiritual teachings that we literally, te- literally tethered to our parents. And what that means is that even when you're 100 years old and your parents have passed away 50 years ago, the, the light that you get, that you receive actually flows through them to you. Can you say that again? So, if we look at it as a chain of existence, right? So, my father was the link before mine. I am linked to him. He is linked to his grandfather, and so on, all the way up, both on father and mother's side. This this link of, this chain Mm -hmm. link of existence. And that means that that's also the way light flows into my life, which means that forever, whatever light I receive, flows through my father's soul, whether he's in this world or not in this world, and my mother's soul, and comes to me. What if they weren't positive? So, they, and, and, and as long as, so, uh, the, the answer is, I will re- get that light anyway, even if they weren't positive, it still flows through them, they don't necessarily benefit from it if they haven't, let's say, done their correction, as we call it in spiritual terms, grown or developed, but, and this is important, it also works the other way. So, some of us might know that, that there's a, a, a Kabbalistic tradition that when parents pass, the children, there's a, there's a connection, there's a prayer called the Kaddish, and its purpose is for the child to help the father or mother's soul elevate. So the child, and there is actually a very beautiful story in the Zohar where one of the sages met a child who was not doing this connection, was not, let's we'll call it on a good path, and he awakened him to the understanding, your parents are actually crying for you even though they're not physically in this world, they're crying for you to make this connection for them because they need your assistance. So it's a two-way connection. Mm-hmm. That, that, that as whatever I so do... So whatever positive things. Also, if I'm lacking... Of course, to be clear, everybody you know has their own process, their own soul, but in one way or another, both my positive and negative actions influence my parents, whether they're in this physical world or not. So if how do your negative actions influence them if they're not here? Well... The understanding is that souls are in a process all the time, whether they're continuing to elevate, whether they're stuck, whether they're reincarnated, that attachment is there. So it will have a long-term positive and or negative effect on them, in one way or another. Again, 
let's use an extreme example, and this is again maybe a little bit off topic. Let's assume a father did not do their job. Let's assume they were a terrible father, and therefore, therefore, and therefore, the child becomes, you know, a bad person, thief, or whatever negative actions. Then those actions will flow back to the father because, in some way, he remains responsible. Mm. If the father did everything that he or, or mother did, whatever they could, and the child, because of his own, you know, process, is wound up in a negative space, obviously that influence will be lessened, mm-hmm. right? So there's still a level of, of dependence dependence on responsibility. All that again, and this, it's all that being said, to understand that that the third area of of again, we're talking about trauma, but also positive influence goes both ways. We are tethered to our parents. One of the reasons why it's important to the degree that we can, and I, I understand that you know it's very, very prevalent where the father or mother did not do their job properly, or they were not the best parents. That does not negate the fact that you are tethered to them, and that's why it's important for a child, to the degree that it's possible, to the degree that they can, to do what they can to 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 fix that relationship or at least do their best efforts to maintain a, we'll call it a positive relationship. And again, and that does not end when the father or mother leaves this physical world, their souls are tethered. And back to trauma, so the understanding is that there's actually a teaching that says that a father or mother's negative thoughts become manifest as, as reality in the children. And again, we have to that 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 of course that does not take away free will from the children. They can move away from that. But I think it is important for us to realize, those of us who are parents, the influence that we have. So it can not, be yeah. negative belief systems that Absolutely. we I mean, I mean, I look at my own family and considering this, and I've often said I've come from a long line of sufferers. And I had to really choose consciously not to have that mentality, that belief system. And it wasn't so much that it was, because I realized this early on, it wasn't so much that it was something I heard, although I did hear negative thoughts and beliefs, but it was more of an energy that I felt. And I remember that very distinctly um, at a young age. So you probably like, got the, the the trifecta. It's probably epigenetics, probably yeah, inaction, <laughs> and spiritual yeah, as well. Yeah, and I really, I had right. to work repeatedly in my adult life to change that. Um, and that's the point, right? Everything is consciousness. And when we challenge ourselves, we can we can change anything. So the spiritual principle is born out of science. And I've talked about this before. There's something called post-traumatic stress and there's post-traumatic growth. And it's really what you do with it. Post-traumatic growth is the positive psychological change experienced as a result of struggling with highly challenging life circumstances. Psychologists insist that this growth does not occur as a direct result of the trauma, but rather it's the individual's struggle with the new reality and the aftermath of the trauma that's crucial in determining the extent to which post-traumatic growth occurs. This might be the most important part of this podcast so far. Right. It it demands the reevaluation of one's core beliefs. And I have done that with every trauma I've had in my life. I've, I've done this where I've tried to choose my response to it. I have chosen. And I thought, do you have something you want to share maybe some examples? But before that, I just want to, I really want to underscore what you said because it's so important. Sometimes, and again, you, I read many different things. You, you see people use, for lack of a better word, this reality of generational trauma as an a excuse to be a victim. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very, very, very important that we understand, and this is based on a spiritual understanding of our soul, our soul chose 
our parents. It doesn't mean they chose them because they were going to be the most loving, but they chose them because if we understand and we accept that my soul has its growth that it needs to go through in this life, therefore the family circumstances that it chose were not the most comfortable ones, who would choose an, you know, a parent, but rather our soul desiring to grow and change. To give it the opportunity to do that within that exactly. movie. So rather, and I think this is, again, a very important and deep secret, rather than look at this concept of generational trauma, whether transferred through my epigenetics, transferred through actions and behavior that I saw from my parents or family, or the spiritual effects we'll say negative effects of their negative actions. You have to accept that this was the perfect chosen situation for your soul. That's interesting. And then, then, the, then the only question becomes, okay, how do I grow from this? But you're not a victim. You're not a victim. This is actually, no matter how crazy that might sign, sound, and I'm sure to many of our listeners who, who came in, thankfully not me nor you, had, we'll say, a very extreme a negative progenitors, rather either epigenetics in action or spiritually, but you have to accept, you have to know that this was the perfect setup for your soul's growth. I mean, quite honestly and frankly, that's probably, that's a big part of the problem today in that people look around and, you know, this one's not lucky enough or fortunate because they grew up in this circumstance, that environment. And that's why, and it could, you know, it really can paralyze people because you can just stay stuck in that mentality and hate on other people or blame them for your misfortune and misery. It has to be a choice to get out of. And I, I read an article just yesterday about this famous family that grew up, some were successful singers, but they grew up in a home that there's a lot of trauma, a lot of drug addiction, abuse. Three of them are now dead and they're not, they weren't that old, like in their 30s, 40s, three of the five children are dead. And one of the children spoke up and said, it's really hard to rise above trauma when that's all you've ever known and you grew up in a house that was filled with that, right? And so, but, but I would say if your soul chose that, right, means but this you is have the, the other layer exactly that people don't realize that they right. do. And not to diminish the difficulty or the challenge, but I think it is important for those of us who are spiritually aware to know that every person's situation is going to be different. Some will be extremely difficult, but that only means that their soul is powerful enough, and their essence is strong enough. To be able to overcome it, I think it's that that that's the the proper view, right? As opposed to saying, "What can I do?" I'm just overwhelmed by negative generational trauma. For sure, and I want to give a really, I think, helpful tool that gave me a different outlook in getting past my perceived limitations because of where I came from. But I'll share that in a little bit. I do want to just backtrack a little bit about the science of traumatic inheritance. I thought this was just so interesting, and I. Anyway, let me share it, and I want to know what you think. But in the 1960s, a researcher named James McConnell led an effort to prove the biological process dubbed memory transfer, the chemical basis for memories that can be passed to offspring via flesh and RNA instead of the traditionally accepted full nervous system in which it was previously theorized. So he exposed planarians, which is a kind of flatworm, which this is not a kind of experiment, but it was the 60s, to bright light and electric shock, cut them in Sorry, half. Sorry, a flower. Flat worm. A flat worm. I heard flower. Oh, poor, poor worm. I know. To the bright light, electric shot, <laughs> cut them in half, and recorded the reactions of the regenerating worms. The experiments showed that worms passed on the memory of the intense pain 
and more importantly, distinct knowledge of the cause of the pain, flatworms. While many of McConnell's peers rolled their eyes and poked holes in his findings, now there's more recent findings that support this. So three years ago, scientists did a similar, slightly more humane experiment on snails and were able to transfer memory via RNA injections from the host to test groups. The evidence has mounted that we do, in fact, experience the effects of our ancestors' suffering. So I'll give you one more. A nature neuroscience study at Emory University School of Medicine shows mice trained to avoid a smell past their aversion to their grandchildren. Okay. The animals were trained to fear a smell similar to cherry blossom. Both the mice's offspring and their offspring were extremely sensitive to cherry blossom and would avoid the scent despite never having experienced it in their own lives. That's just fascinating. Right. So I do want to, oh, and there's one more thing I actually want to say. Professor Marcus Pembry from University College London said, the findings were highly relevant to phobias, these findings we've just talked about, anxiety and post-traumatic stress disorders. I suspect we will not understand the rise of neuropsychiatric disorders or obesity, diabetes, and metabolic disruptions generally without taking a multi-generational approach, which I couldn't agree with more. I mean, think about that too, right? If you look at even just like people who are obese, right? And, and that kind of, I mean, that, that that's the, why it's so hard to kind of get past these things sometimes. Yeah. So I did want to bring up this idea in Kabbalah and those who have been listening to us a long time, this won't be no, but for our newer listeners, the idea of tikkun, right? We talk about how tikkun is you come into this world and you are given opportunities, people, experiences, life situations to help you correct, grow, transform, elevate something that your soul needs to in this lifetime because of something that happened in a previous lifetime or even earlier in this lifetime, which is connected to generational trauma. But Well, I think it's what we were talking about before, is the fact that why did yours, you choose to come into this family? That it's not that you are a victim of the epigenetics or the situation in the house or the spiritual behavior of your parents, but rather that your soul knew and knows that this was the perfect environment, the perfect challenges for you to be able to grow from and achieve. And commensurate with that is, as well is the fact that you have the power, the, the, the physical, spiritual, emotional strength to be able to overcome them. So what we're really saying is, as scientists are showing in DNA and RNA, that there is trauma that's passed down in our cells. We're saying that spiritually, there's an imprint on your soul, and that's why you are connected to these other souls that you are in a family with, right? And that's why even parents, I think, have different relationships with their children. Forget about, you know, which signs get on better, which personalities are more similar. There's also an energy or an energetic connection that you, you kind of gravitate more towards maybe certain people than others because you've had these experiences with them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's a very important understanding because, and this is based on another very important teaching, and that is that the way to get past a dark situation or a challenging situation is to see the light in it. And there's a beautiful teaching again from a great Kabbalist, the Baal Shem Tov, who says that when you see the light in the darkness, the darkness goes away. So take two people who experience relatively similar family trauma, epigenetics, actions, spiritual effects. One of them really takes to heart 
what we said, which is that, yeah, it wasn't a great household. And I'm really, you know, if, you know, I'm very challenged by the epigenetics uh, that I received and the behavior in my home and the spiritual behavior in my home. But I know that this is for my benefit, that these challenges and how I overcome them are what's going to make me who I am meant to be. So much so that you get to a point where you say, I actually am happy that I was born into such a challenging situation. And that person, what is he, what is he or she doing? They're seeing the light in the darkness, they're seeing the light in the challenge, and that means that they will be able to get rid of, excise from their lives, and then hopefully from their children and grandchildren, the negative effects of the challenges, as opposed to another person who had the same experience, but they are stuck in the darkness of it. And they say, I'm a victim to it, why did this have to happen to me? That person hasn't, can't even really take the first step to start excising themselves out of that darkness for themselves, for their children and grandchildren. I would really recommend for our listeners to look up post-traumatic growth. And there are so many inspiring stories out there. There was a skier who, I can't remember her name right now, but I've talked about her for years, who ended up, I think, losing some of her limbs, but she found a way to rise above it. She had infection after infection and operation after operation, but she learned to thrive and she became a motivational speaker. There's so many stories. And really, if you look at what is the one variant that made that possible was they looked past the try. If we want to, if we want to look for reasons why we feel the way we do, or why we're in the family we are, why we feel so much pain and suffering, you will find many. Yes. And you'd but be she, right, right? And, you'd be and you right will be right. Part. And there's so much By science, way, as we said. I'm sure some people do that, and they're wrong. But I'm saying, but even if you're 100 percent right, and there is science and spirituality that backs that up a thousand percent. But what do you want to do with it? Exactly. And that's really the point of our talk and to, today. Exactly, and the and the point is to know that it actually has a perfect purpose. Has a perfect purpose. So this is the tool that I wanted to leave our listeners with. First, I want to share that author Carmen Rita Wong said that the key to healing generational trauma is to think about our parents and our ancestors as humans with human experiences. So this made me think about how I came to do that in a, in a really practical way. And I've given this advice to many of my students. And that is to realize, which we know, right? that they did the best they could, even if it's it's pathetic, and it's not our best, it was their best. And maybe they were uninformed or misguided, but let's look at where they came from, right? Let's look at their past hurt and trauma, because it's not just about how we feel and ours, even though our parents, it's not, you know, we expect them or we blame them for our own unhappiness, but then they can do that to their parents and then they do that to their parents. So years ago, it was my, uh, I think it was my 30th birthday and we were in London and we were hopelessly jet lagged and I celebrate my lunar birthday, my English birthday a little less. I like to celebrate both birthdays. Why not? And the time in between <laughs> and <laughs> after <laughs> and before. Well, late presents are nice too. Yes. But we have a friend who has the same birthday as I do. He's your best friend and he he has a place in the English countryside. So we decided that birthday on his English birthday, you were going to go and be with him. And I was going to stay in the city with the kids. And I was happy to do that. But that particular night, the jet lag was really, really bad. And it's my birthday and it's like one, it's two. And I'm, what am I going to do? Now, two days before that, well, let me backtrack. Weeks before that, I was at my mother's house and I found all of these old VHS tapes that she had. And all of the tape was becoming brittle and it was about to break. And I said, you know, we really should digitize this or we're not going to have these memories anymore. So I took CD, I made CDs for everybody in my family 
for whatever reason, the person that was digitizing it misunderstood and sent me all 21 CDs of most of my life to that point to London. And they arrived the day before, two days before. So at one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning, I'm sitting there thinking, what am I gonna do? And I'm like, you know, I'll just watch one. I'll watch one and see. Now cut to 21 CDs later, six in the morning. I am hysterical. I'm beside myself. I finally, finally, finally forgave my parents for everything and anything. And more than that, I was so grateful and appreciative to them. So what changed in those six hours? It wasn't just watching my childhood. There's one specific video. And I think that there were many other connections I made through watching all of the other ones. It was a Mother's Day and we had just moved from New Orleans to Beverly Hills. And I remember there were so many changes. My father losing his wealth. We were now suddenly stuck in a pile of certain judgments and uh, a lot of Persians had just immigrated there. And I was, I never considered myself anything other than Monica. And then now I moved to Beverly Hills and I was all of these other things that I didn't really understand, but had a bad association with them. And also my parents had felt badly about their situation in life at that point. So anyway, I remember just feeling very lonely and upset and wanting my mom's attention because I had a stay-at-home mom until that point. And then when we moved, she started working. And suddenly we had this huge Persian family that before it was just us, right? So I remember that one Mother's Day, the the CD comes on. I'm looking at it. I'm like, oh, I remember this one. And I'm feeling like all, you know, vindicated. Like, yeah, I remember. Let's let's watch this one, right? And I'm thinking that was the day that I was so sad and my mom was ignoring me. <laughs> and it was Mother's Day and I just wanted her attention. And sure enough, you see my face. I look miserable. <laughs> and then the video cuts to my mom. And normally she was the one taking the video. She was always behind the camera. So I was kind of surprised. And I saw her. Now, I didn't see her as I saw her when I was eight or nine that day. I saw her now as a young woman myself with my own children. And what I saw was her looking over at her parents with the same look I was looking at her with, which was, I want your attention and I want your love. And all of a sudden, my heart just melted. Like it was all about me my entire life because that's all I knew. As a child, you only see it that way because your parents bring you in the world and it's the lens in which you look at. But at some point, it's your responsibility to make sure that you change that lens, that you now look at it as adult and you see everybody's perspective and you see why things were where they were. And you're able to then choose your perspective and your response in a different way. It was so healing. And I had so much love and compassion for her. And that moment, and also for my father, then I looked at him and I was like, wow, that was so hard for him to come into this world. He was like on top of the world. He was the best part of his life in his memory he'd ever had in New Orleans. And now he's there and he was feeling worse than I was, you know? So it changed everything. And then from that point on, I really tried to look at all of my life experiences, certainly the ones from my childhood, but then everything that came up from that point, it was the biggest life lesson that any pain I ever felt again from that point on pause and look at somebody else's perspective and see it through their lens. It was a life-changing experience. Beautiful. And continues to be. Beautiful. So I would say that's how you get past generational trauma. And that's how you really heal it. Now, not everybody's going to have a CD or I get that of their whole life, but maybe you have photographs or maybe you can interview relatives that are still alive if you can't talk to your own parents, but you'd be surprised if you're curious what you'd kind of find. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. This is a perfect time to remind our listeners to go to Apple Podcasts, write five-star reviews, share this podcast with everybody you know, and continue to email Monica and Michael at spirituallyhungry.life. Questions, comments, stories, inspirations, topic ideas. Uh, We read 
all of your emails and we are inspired by them. And every once in a while, we have the opportunity to share some of your letters, messages with the rest of our listeners. So please continue. And as always, we hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast as much as we enjoyed recording. Stay spiritually hungry.